Would you open God's precious holy word to Proverbs 6? Get some instruction from here on social responsibility and family unit, unity. You know, I could have just as well titled the thing, don't do it, right? Or just say no. Um, such solid biblical practical instruction. We can't lose grip of what holds us to the anchor that uh, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. Everything else that we learn stands on that foundation. So everything follows up on the main thing, which is to fear Yahweh, fear the Lord. And then, then you have the capacity to build on that a responsible life. This is very, uh, this is very practical and it, and it tells us how the Lord connects his interest for our personal daily lives with the importance, not just the importance, but the, the, the absolute necessity for us to walk in reverential awe of who he is, to reverence him or to, or to fear him. To, to fear him, to know that, that he's the creator and the consummator of all things. And we came from him and we walk through life by his sustenance. And then someday we'll stand before him at the end of all things. So these, these practical lessons just continue to, to, be, to be given. But there are, I see, I, so far I see three, three major areas uh, beyond the spiritual responsibility. I'm talking about practical areas in everyday life. And the, the, the three areas that I've seen so far, that we've seen so far, is number one, the importance of work ethic. To, to, be, to be commonsensical, to be observant of what succeeds, to be wary of what fails and to put your life on the path of success. That's really fairly a simple thing. You have this list of do's and don'ts and you have kind of a roadmap in your mind of life and here are the highways you want to travel and these are the areas you want to stay away from. So I see, I see work ethic as one of the things the next thing I see that we study is the importance of asset management. If you follow simple fundamental rules and philosophies of sound business and pay attention to those who have succeeded in whatever they do, then then, then you should be able to responsibly 
manage your personal assets so that, so that you live not necessarily in luxury, but you don't live in want. You live in peace and you live a life where through careful asset management before the Lord, you have been able to forge a good life. The third thing that I see is moral responsibility. Immoral people carry a burden and baggage that uh, is daunting and ruinous at the end of it. And I think we're going to see tonight that uh, those areas are touched on again as well. But if some area of life is worthy of instruction and personal discipline, then that area has, has more than one set of circumstances that need to be considered. So this is how the instructor, the teacher, continues to approach those whom he either refers to as my son or my children. So with, uh, with all of that in mind, first rule in this chapter, first advice, first instruction, disengage yourselves from rash pledges. This would sort of fit into the area of uh, asset management, I guess. Let's look at it. My son, if you have stood surety for your friend, have shaken hands for a stranger, you have been trapped by the sayings of your mouth. You've been caught by the sayings of your mouth. Do this then, my son, and be saved, for you have come into your fellow's palm. Go, humble yourself, or fellow. It's the same Hebrew word, your friend, whatever. And you could put that word in quotation marks, I think. Go, humble yourself, and give your friend superiority. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Save yourself like a deer from the hand. And it's a, it's a, it means the hand of the hunter. You could have, it could be translated the hunter's hand. And like a bird from the hand of the snare or the fowler's snare, one who hunts birds. So here's a guy, he's young. And he has, he has a reasonable personal portfolio. Not the best in the world, but he's responsible. And he has honor among others. And someone here called his friend takes advantage of him. Smooth talk. Verse 2, essentially, the teacher is saying to the son, you've talked too much. 
You, said, you bragged on yourself to me. You let somebody know what you were worth. And they want part of it and they don't intend to give it back. My daddy used to talk to me about that kind of thing all the time. When I was about 12 years old, I got a letter in the mail. I guess it's illegal these days, but I got a letter in the mail to me, a kid. I got a letter in the mail, all typed up and proper. It was from a land development company. I had been given three acres on Sand Mountain in a new development. I was so excited. I was the only kid in junior high school who was going to be a landowner. And I pestered my daddy and my mother. They had this big open house thing where you had to come and turn your letter in so they could give you a deed. My daddy told me for two weeks, son, you don't get something for nothing. Nothing is free. And I'll tell you that lesson has followed me the rest of my life. I just dismiss every time I see something on TV or this one. You get one, you get the second one free. That ain't true. You're paying for both of them. You know, just forget that kind of stuff. If you need two and that sounds like a good price for two of them, order it. But it, one of them ain't free. So he finally gave in. So he and mother and I got into the car and went and finally found this place. You didn't have GPS then, you know, you had a road map and you had this guy, these instructions on how to get there. And it was off of a road onto a smaller road onto a dirt road and branch off of another road. And there was this little office trailer and there were four or five other cars there. And I was so excited. I was about to get a deed to three acres on Sand Mountain. And Daddy said, give me, that, give me that letter. Yes, sir. Walked right in. And my Daddy was no soft touch. Walked right into that uh, trailer, right up to the big dog, and said, okay, give my boy his deed. Well, let me show it to you first. Well, we can look at it after you give us a deed. Nah, come on, I want to show it to you. So we got, well, this, this piece of property was like, it was like the valley of death. <laughs> it was rocks and stuff here and rocks and stuff here, and it went into a rocky crevice, and somewhere my three acres would be carved out right there. And my daddy's jaw was popping. He really was, he was really popping at that time. He had this look. He had these eyebrows, you know, that just pierced these eyes. He listens to this guy. He said, now, he pulled out a contract. This guy said, now let's go back to office. Pulled out a contract. He said, you'll note that we don't have power or water here yet. So it's going to take a payment of $3,000 for this lot, and the only way that we can give up these lots is to be sure that each lot is connected to water and power. Oh, man. I thought my daddy was going to hit that guy. 
He said, you sorry so-and-so, let me tell you something. This is a 12-year-old boy. Had this letter for nearly a month, excited, telling people he was going to get a piece of property, free. And you caused all of this to him to come up here. And, well, I mean, my daddy, I don't know what all he said to him. I, he was my, of course, my daddy didn't curse or swear, but he sure could say some choice words and chew you out and leave you in a pile of mess. Just, uh, and he didn't turn that guy loose. And that guy just kind of kept sinking down, you know. And, uh, and of course, daddy said, I don't know, but well, I'll just take this to a lawyer or something. You know, I don't know if this is right. Uh, you came through the mail. You got my son's name and address from somewhere. He's a 12-year-old boy. Well, my daddy finally took a deep breath. We got back in the car. He put that car in drive, and we began to get off that dirt road onto the bigger dirt road, onto the county road, onto the highway that led us home. Somewhere along there, he finally took a breath, and his purple shade of flesh turned back to normal. He said, son, let that be a lesson. Nothing's free. I never have forgotten that. Never have. Never will. This is, this is sort of like what this guy is saying. My daddy also said, don't ever crawl into a hole that you can't back out of. This guy is telling this younger guy, you've crawled into a hole. You need to back out of it. You've talked too much and you have agreed to things with a shake, with a, by shaking hands and you're trapped into some kind of contract because of your big mouth and you need to be delivered from this. This is going to ruin you. That's what he's telling him. So here was his advice now. Listen to this. Go Humble yourself and give that fellow superiority. Just humble yourself. Stay at it. Don't sleep. Don't even nod off in sleep until finally you can cut your losses in the best way that you can and this guy lets you out of it. That's what he's telling you. Here's his lesson. You talked too much and you trusted too much the wrong people. And now you're going to have to be the tail and not the head until you can get yourself out of this because it's only going to get worse. Save yourself like a deer from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler's snare. Cut loose and run and do whatever you have to do to cut yourself loose from this awful contract that you've gotten into. So, first thing he says is disengage yourself from rash pledges. This guy would have never forgotten that lesson. Well, I'll tell you, I had to be taught more than one lesson, I guess. What was it? The Columbia Record Club? Good grief. 
An act of Congress could not get you out of whatever it was you thought you were out of already, you know? I had so many stupid albums that I didn't care nothing about. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. You have to find the opening and run. Finally, my daddy said, just quit paying them. It'll cost them more to come after you than it's worth. <laughs> so that's what I did. Well, okay. Learn from the ant. Now you think about that. Big old human being with a brain bigger than an ant mound. An ant, what are they? I don't even know if they're an eighth of an inch. I don't know how long they are. Well, there's some pretty big ones, but these things are just always doing something. Here's the next lesson. Go to the ant, sluggard. That's a lazy note. What did uh, my parents used to call them? Uh, a lazy good-for-nothing bum or something like that. And that was the Christian way of praying for them. <laughs> Go to the ant, you lazy good-for-nothing bum. And watch her and gain wisdom from the ant. She has no captain. She has no overseer. That actually means it could be translated record keeper or bookkeeper. And doesn't have a ruler. By her own strength, she works for herself. That's what he's saying. She just needs herself and a good, strong work ethic. Yet she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. She has a plan. And she is prepared for whatever might happen in the future because she has worked hard. And in her working hard, she has prepared her bread in the summer. Just watch her. They're always, you know, when you're a kid, they're always carrying something, right? And a breadcrumb or a chunk of a cricket or something, you know. They're taking it back and they're laying, they're getting ready. Don't know what's happening, but something's going to happen and we're going to be ready. Sluggard. How long are you just going to lay there? And when are you ever going to get up from sleeping? Laziness. Just sleep all the time. You'll notice this is in quotation marks. So here's the thought of the sluggard. Let me have a little sleep. Ah, oh, it's time for me to take a little nap. And a folding of the hands to lie, to lie down. That's what it means. Here's what's going to happen to you. 
you're going to lose everything. Your poverty will come like a fast walker and your need as an armed man. It's an interesting Hebrew word, armed. It, it could also mean a, a beggar. It's a desperate person. And your need as a desperate man. You're going to lose everything and you're going to be impoverished. And it's going to happen in the blink of an eye because you're not doing a thing in your life. Take a lesson from the diligence of the ant. Next lesson. Perverse people are dangerous to you. A worthless man Belial Belial sons of Belial. It's a word. Belial. There it is. Second word up there. A son of Belial, a worthless man. Worthless. You know the kind? You know the kind the type? Bones, worthless, always have an angle, want to live off the other guy's prosperity. A worthless man, a wicked man, walks with a crooked mouth. He winks with his eyes and shuffles with his feet and points with his fingers. He's always deceiving you, getting you off balance, fast Talker, you can't get a word in edgewise, you know. Perversity is in his heart. He plots evil at all times. He sows discord continually. Therefore, calamity will come suddenly. He will suddenly be broken and without remedy. His life will come crashing down. And he will go down burning in flames. The phrase from the Hebrew, he sows discord continually. And you see that word, you see that, I think it's in Deuteronomy and it's about six times here in Proverbs, the Hebrew word. And it, uh, rabbinical scholars tend to believe that it, he's talking about taking people to court all the time. Just always in strife. Uh, and, and threatening with, with legal action all the time. But he will suddenly be broken, and that without remedy. He's worthless, he's perverse, he's upside down in his life. Divisive people are deadly. Would to God, through the tenure of my pastorate, and I guess through every pastor's pa pastorate for all time, people could see and get a sense of the deadliness of divisiveness. Look at this. There are six things that Yahweh hates. Seven are an abomination to his soul. That is the seat of the emotion of God. <laughs> Think about that. The essence of God's emotional state. These seven things are an abomination 
to his soul. And here they are. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that hasten to run to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Thematically, historically, that's been referred, those have been referred to as the seven deadly sins. But notice how hurtful it is to other people, the people of God, the work of the Lord, the community in general. Proud look, haughtiness, arrogance, a lying tongue, a murderer, a murderer, a heart that devises wicked plans. Just think about it all the time. Consumed with spreading wickedness, feet that hasten to run to evil. A father in the ministry many years ago whenever we had lunch together he would give me pearls of wisdom he would give me fatherly ministerial advice he's been dead for many years one of the things he said to me he said you know As you move on in the ministry, I think at that time, that particular church, I had one full-time staff member, well, two if you count the secretary, and then a couple of part-time uh, staff members. And he had been injured, hurt by something in one of his pastorates. And he said, I would make this observation. If you ever have a staff member who seems to spend all of his time with negative people. He's dangerous to you and to your church. That's what he said. Because people, and he, he quoted this verse 18, feet that hasten to run to evil. People who love the bad stuff I guess I've seen them in all of my ministry, you know. They just, they feed on bad stuff. Feet that hasten to run to evil. That's an abomination to the soul, to the emotional setting of Almighty God. False witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. I've known a lot of people through the years who just apparently just didn't believe that. Didn't accept that. Well, then a call to attention. My son, keep the commands of your father 
Do not forsake the instruction of your mother. Bind them always upon your heart. Tie them upon your neck. When you walk, she, that is wisdom, will lead you. When you lie down, she will guard you. And when you awaken, she will speak for you. Take the high road, stay on the high road, do the right thing. And you'll be protected. Finally, shun adultery. For the commandment is a lamp and the Torah is light. Now he's talking about what? The seventh commandment? Committing adultery. And disciplining rebukes are the way of life. To guard you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust for her beauty in your heart. Don't fantasize over this woman. And don't let her, because of that, captivate you with her eyelids. That's an interesting part of the body that's captivating, I guess. For by means of a prostitute, a man is brought to a crust of bread. And an adulteress will prey upon his precious soul, his prized soul. It's almost like the seductress just thinks of this as another notch in the handle of her Colt 45. It's almost like this is just something that she does to see if she can get away with it. But in the end, it brings you to ruin. It goes on. Can a man take fire to his bosom without burning his clothes? Can you rage with passion in the wrong and immoral way without suffering loss? Can a man walk on live coals without scorching his feet? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not be innocent. People don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's starving. They don't hold that so much against the thief. Not like they hold adultery against the one who takes his neighbor's wife. And if he's found, he'll pay sevenfold. He may have to give up all he owns. But that doesn't compare to what happens to the man in adultery. Whoever commits adultery with a woman is stupid. That's what he says. He's devoid of sense. He's crazy. He's stupid. He who does so destroys his own soul. Nefeshi. That, that means his emotions. The, the ruach is the spirit, but the nefesh is the soul, the emotional seat. He will find wounds and disgrace. And his reproach will not be erased. 
<laughs> oh, that's the guy, you know, that's the guy. For jealousy will arouse the husband's wrath, and he will not have pity on the day of vengeance. Now he takes him to court. This is all legal terminology. He will not accept any recompense, nor will he be, that should, that should be appeased, nor will he be appeased though you give him many bribes. You're not going to buy your way out of this one because of the husband's wrath. Boy, that's a lovely place to end for tonight. <laughs> but there it was, and we went through it. And it's true. It's true. All right, so we'll pick up there next time, God willing, and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.